Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete That keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions present From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 6, The Twilight Zone. The weeks and months between visits to Bahoo go along much as they had before. The only practical or tangible difference being a monthly visit to Western Union where cash is transferred to Oni, to be eventually converted into building materials on some far tropical shore, or for paying somebody to mix mortar or lay bricks. We speak to Oni sometimes, but otherwise we can only imagine what is going on over there. And the lodge, such as it yet is, exists like some kind of a subtext to real life, or like another life entirely, the reality of which is growing slowly, both actually and metaphorically, but is beyond our reach. And that can be a strange feeling. There is one thing which we decide that we can perhaps do, since if we are to one day run any kind of business from Bahoo Lodge, we will need to set up a foreign investment company. And to this end, we make the sensible decision that we should try to do this here, in England. So, to this end, we telephone the Indonesian embassy in London. At least, we attempt to phone them, but all we ever get is an answering machine on which we leave our contact details, but nobody calls us back. Undaunted, we go to London and present ourselves in person to the embassy staff, who are most welcoming, and over tea and biscuits, we explain our plans to them. They are most attentive and encouraging, and we spend a good deal of time filling in forms and then meet various other officials and fill in various other forms. Finally, after several hours emerging into the daylight and the free air of the London streets, feeling as though we have undergone some kind of mental or psychological ordeal. But we had several business cards and an assurance that we would be contacted in due course once all forms had been processed. We wait. Nothing happens. Not one letter, fax, email or telephone call resulted. And we began to wonder whether we had collectively imagined the whole thing or had entered a kind of twilight zone, far detached from the reality of normal life. So, after all of that, our sensible idea came to nothing. And we must find another way. And at least wait until we're in Indonesia again to take things forward. Which, for me, will not be yet. This time Phil is going without me. I'm going to Florida with Mummy Carol and the three children to Disney and Universal to celebrate Hattie's eighth birthday. I am amazed. I've come back this time with Steve, a friend and work colleague, and have, after so many months of waiting, had my first sight of the lodge under construction, and I am amazed 
which is not a term that I use often or lightly. We have walls, external and internal, up to ceiling height on the ground floor, and the ground floor is now concrete waiting for tiles. I mean, sure, it's a building site in the tropics with all of the mess, chaos, cement, dust and heat which this brings, but our lodge has taken physical form for the first time, and I can walk around that which will be the entrance lobby, the dining room and the lounge, the kitchen and the ground floor bedrooms, still looking up at the sky above, but still the reinforcing irons are being placed and the timber props are being positioned to hold up the formwork for the pouring of concrete above, which will become the first floor. The building is a steel-reinforced framework of concrete pillars with brick infills between, which have no strength to speak of, but the strength is in the framework. The area is volcanic and earthquakes are a regular occurrence, so the building must be flexible and must move with the earth, and I better begin to understand Indonesian building methods, which are in so many ways so different at home. I have daily meetings with Oni and Mr. Yan, and we aren't yet on to finer points, but the building is going well. And otherwise, Steve learns to scuba dive. So my days are spent underwater, or watching the busyness of our future being built. And this is a fine thing, albeit that she who is most beloved is in America at a theme park, and can't yet share this experience which is, well, amazing is the best word I can use to describe it, and I, I don't use the word often or lightly. There's an ancient bridge that lives in me As old as rain as old as dreams I can't stop now I'm in too deep I lose myself in the wonder of things There's a faultless God our secretive planning came to fruition. Hattie had no idea that we were all off to America, and the boys were brilliant at keeping the secret safe. On the day of her birthday, I convinced Hattie to come to Gatwick and have breakfast with Carol and I. 
Carol having driven me to the airport before I supposedly boarded a plane for Edinburgh, which was not unusual, work taking me there on a regular basis. Hattie was a bit surprised when Mummy and the boys turned up with lots of luggage, and we said, Surprise! We're all going to Scotland together for a holiday, but I would have to work. The flight to Orlando was uneventful, but the crew made Hattie feel special giving her birthday cards and gifts. As we were descending into Orlando, Ed kept up the pretense that we were going to Edinburgh. The kids' cousins live in Scotland, and he would say such as, Look out of the window, Hattie, you can see our cousin's house. She seemed a little phased, but readily agreed with her elder brother. We passed through immigration, and the official said, Welcome to America, only to be corrected forcibly by Hattie. No, we're in Scotland. <laughs> to avoid further confusion and an international incident between one large, by now slightly bemused American official and one very small but adamant girl, we hurried her through to get the luggage, and the realisation finally dawned. Instead of being excited, she was furious. I think it was the shock and the fact that we had all hidden the secret from her. She has now assured me that she is never, ever going to believe anything we tell her again. <laughs> Fair point, I feel. Once settled into our house, which will be home for the next two weeks, I phoned Phil in Indonesia. Phil describes the lodge in detail, which was boy detail, and then in my idea of detail. And if ever there was a time when I wished that I could be in two places at once, this was it. But still, here I am, and for me, Indonesia will have to wait, for now at least. While I'm here, I'm fortunate enough to witness something which, to me, is quite extraordinary. The now all but impenetrable forest of timber props, the steel reinforcing and formwork are in place to pour the concrete for the first floor. And this is the next stage of construction, which is something to be seen. It involves about 60 workmen which is all of the village men plus others hired in for the occasion, who, I am informed, are all to be paid double the usual day rate and have the next day off as a paid leave, because that's how it's done. The point being that the concrete must be poured in one go to avoid any weak joints. There are no concrete mixers or wheelbarrows, such high-tech building equipment having not yet reached this part of the world. So, about eight men, all wearing regulation safety flip-flops, mix the ballast and cement by hand. From here, a chain gang of men, also wearing flip-flops, pass buckets from the mixing area to a bamboo ladder, up which the buckets are passed, then on running boards across the area to be concreted, at the end of which is Mr. Yan, with a length of timber who tamps and screeds the concrete to its finished level. Two or three men are responsible for collecting the empty buckets and throwing them down to the mixing area to be refilled and repeat their journey. The work started before dawn and carried on unabated until the early afternoon. 
my primary responsibility, aside from paying for it, being the provision of clove cigarettes, three packs at a time, as often as required to maintain the momentum. And these boys can smoke. The whole affair had something of a carnival atmosphere about it, which is hard to describe. And aside from working hard, everyone is clearly enjoying themselves, singing, laughing and talking amongst themselves, and at the end, bottles and plastic containers of chapticus, the locally and illegally manufactured firewater, are produced from somewhere, and everyone gets drunk before going home. The next morning, I rise early and make the short journey from the hotel. And at dawn, I ascend the bamboo ladder and am standing alone on the now-set concrete in the peace and quiet of the tropical morning. And for the first time, I have panoramic views of the local islands and of the wide blue ocean. And I am amazed once again. I sit down on an upturned bucket, roll a cigarette, and weep. I don't know why, really. Maybe it's the madness of the whole thing, or the beauty of the whole thing, but the emotional overload takes me by surprise, and it was just one of those moments when weeping seemed like the right thing to do. It's okay, though. I'm alone, and nobody will ever know. And we will hear more about Phil and Paula's adventures in Indonesia next time. Phil's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. <laughs>